0: Thanks, Terry and worship team. Grateful to be able to share together. I hope some of you had power before you got here this morning. Um, or some of you had relatives in town where you could go get cleaned up before you came. Make sure you're there. We're grateful for you being here. Uh, Kathy and I were able to get over from Raleigh this morning without any real trouble. So pray for us as we go back tonight after the 4 o'clock service, that God would keep us safe and uh all of us on track for the ministry God's given us. Well, what a week last week was. You'll hear more about that later on, but uh, what a great thing to have Rodney here preaching and and you'll hear more about how all that went later on, but we're blessed to be able to be back. I'd mentioned that we're gonna be looking at an exposition of the book of Philippians over these next few months. Well, those next few months have just become a few weeks. And so uh, we're gonna hit all of chapter two today. Uh, we've got lunch coming in at 3, and uh, so no, <laughs> you'll be fine. No, I'm having to pick one topic from each of the, the chapters. So next week we'll be in chapter 3, the week after chapter 4. There's consistency there, right? And then the last week I'm with you before uh, things develop in another way it will be to charge the church with, a, with the responsibilities that we have in how we onboard a new pastor. What do you do? When that happens, and what kind of responsibilities do we have? So, we'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. But today, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, and the primary issue that Paul is going to be addressing is going to be our relationships with ourselves, with each other, and with Christ. How that shapes how we respond to his lordship. And we'll just touch lightly on a couple of other passages, the last part, of uh, verses like uh, 9 to 11 and then 12 and 13 we'll be kind of just touching on those but focusing most of our attention on verses 1 to 8. So let's pray together and then after we're into it in a minute I'll read the text for us and then we'll unpack it and see what God has. So Father thank you for getting us safely here. There are some folks who are not even able to watch this now because they don't have power at home and so they can't even participate even online uh, but, Lord, as they're watching this, some of them, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, this week, may this message that you have given to this people here today, those who are able to watch online, will be fresh and alive to each of our hearts whenever and however it is repeated. And so we ask you now, Lord, to teach us. Open our eyes to see what you would have for us, and we will give you praise for Christ's sake. Amen. One of the greatest questions facing the church in any era, and particularly so in our day to day, is what are the great threats to our mission and our ministry? What are the things that are threatening what we're about? Now some, if you listen to the news and if you read podcasts and blogs and all that kind of stuff, some would say, well, the biggest threat right now is what's going on with a cultural revolution. You know, with all the cancel culture and all that stuff. That's a huge threat to the church from the outside, trying to encourage upon our rights to do mission and ministry and teach what we believe clearly uh that's always been a, a challenge for us or maybe it's government intervention in what we're trying to do and, and intrusion and restrictions and things posed upon imposed upon us and and so that's the the biggest threat that we're facing these days and and true history shows that that can indeed have an impact on the church but today paul is saying to us something that we really need to understand the greatest threat to the mission and ministry of the church has not now or ever been an outside threat primarily doesn't mean that they're not there they are clearly there but the primary threat is internal it's what we do to and with ourselves that creates the problem you ask the world outside why why don't you listen to our message why why won't you hear what we have to say well when you start practicing it we'll start listening well that's insulting it's accurate but it's insulting. <laughs> We don't want to hear that. And so we want to be able to figure out, what, Paul, are you saying? This is a, a letter written to a church that is filled with joy. And yet in verse three, he's saying, listen, I'm. excuse me, verse two, he says, well, you've got to make my joy complete. Let's not just get partway into it. Let's look at how we can do this completely. And he says the basis of that is going to be how we deal with relationships in the body of Christ. How we process our own expectations. What we do with our own thought that we have to have things our way that's not the picture of the follower of christ he's saying how do we process how we're supposed to be different and how can we give force to our message to the world if we're not any different than they are so what does it look like? How are we supposed to process this, this information that he's given us? He said, now, now here's what's going to take place. We're, we're going to find that, that our old nature is constantly at war with the old nature in the other person. Because if I am looking to control my own life and you're looking to control your life, our interests are in conflict. I want what I want. You want what you want. Somebody's going to have to give. And nobody wants to give. That's a part of our nature. We had dinner last night with our youngest son and his wife. And uh, they've got a seven-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter. Nobody taught her how to be selfish. She just knows. She just knows. I'm hungry. I'm going to cry. I'm wet. I'm going to cry. I'm sleepy. I'm going to cry. I don't want to go to bed. I'm going to cry. You know, nobody had to teach her that. And when she gets a little older and then they say, no, honey, do not put your fingers into the electrical outlet. <sniffs> Boom, you know, what am I, she's, she's a, re- a rebellious little girl. Aren't you glad your children weren't that way? No, we're all that way. We are born by nature, disinclined to follow God. And we are born to make ourselves lords of our own lives. And if I'm Lord of your life and you're trying to make yourself Lord of your life, we're going to be in conflict. And we don't need outside interference to mess up our mission and ministry if we're Combating that in the body of Christ. So Paul writes this letter. He said, look, here's what we need to understand. You need to build relationships that are foundational for the proclamation of a message that Jesus not only saves, but Jesus reigns in all things. And that the message of the gospel that we proclaim that Jesus changes things is only valid in the eyes of those who hear us if they see it worked out among us. So... Here he comes, ready to address us. He says, I want you to make my joy complete. How, Paul? How are we supposed to do that? Well, let's read the text. Verses 1 to 8, Philippians chapter 2, and Paul outlines how this is supposed to work. And here's what he's saying about the nature of how we relate to ourselves, to each other, and to the Lord. Back when I was a little kid, my mom used to teach us a song. She says, we live our lives, Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others and you. And that's what Paul's saying here. If we get our relationship with Jesus figured out, and we know how we treat others, then we will know how to respond to ourselves in a godly way. And this passage tells us a simple way to look at it, that you need to humble yourselves. You need to take the low place. And let's hear what he says. If, therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, how? By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude, or have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This cross is what makes the difference. The passage we just read together in Ephesians uh, chapter two that that Terry led us through, we have this understanding that, that we have been crucified with Christ. We have been made alive together with him. Our sin is no longer counted against us. Our old, selfish, sinful nature that lives in defiance of God and in combat with all others around us, that has been put to death at the cross, and we have been made alive together with Christ. Now He's saying, "Work it out in your daily lives." And we'll see a little bit of that in verses twelve and thirteen. You got to work this thing out with with, sal- with salvation being your focus. And what is that going to look like? And you got to take it seriously with fear and trembling. Sort out how you're going to live this thing out. So He begins this verses one to eight by telling us, "Here's the issue." Our joy can never be complete until we are living together in the fullness of our salvation together as one body exalting one head, the Lord Jesus. I'm not the head. The pastor is not the head. The chairman of the deacons is not the head. The vote of the church is not the head. There's one head. It's Jesus. So he says, let's understand it. Now, there is an exacting humility that comes when we become one with our head, Christ. And I say exacting intentionally be, because there's no room for a compromise. There's no room for anything less than a comprehensive humility that takes us to the lowest place and lets us exalt the highest name. And how do we do that? He gives us instruction now as to how we, we start out here. So he begins in in the, this passage by giving us some checkpoints we want to have a sure foundation he says well let's make sure you do you've got to overcome who you are by nature which is selfish natural born selfish people living for ourselves and you can't be self-centered you need to be christ-centered so here's how that has to work and he begins by saying a series of ifs if there's any encouragement if there's any consolation of love if any fellowship of the spirit if any affection and compassion these these ifs are not maybe that'll work out to be that way no he says these are the conditions by which these things are realities in your life if you are following christ these things will be true of you and so he starts off as if there's any encouragement in christ he says this this foundational support and this consolation and comfort is provided for you in Christ. As you walk with him. And, and in the Greek language, that word also was used by architects of talking about sort of the, the foundation piece of an arch where you're supporting the whole thing with a keystone and all that. And it says, so if there's any kind of support, encouragement, even comfort for you in Christ, is there? Yes, he's all of that. Then if he is that, then make my joy complete. If there is, secondly, any consolation of love. Is the love of Christ consoling to us? Boy, is it ever. I mean, if I know my heart, my own soul, and I know that I am worthy of condemnation, to know that Jesus loves me, as we just sang about, and to know that he has my best interest at heart is an amazing thing. It is a glorious truth. I'm consoled by the fact that Jesus loves me. Thirdly, he says, when you are in Christ, you are in experiencing the fellowship of the spirit so if there's any fellowship of the holy spirit well where is the holy spirit if you know christ dwelling in you he says do you not know that you are the temple of the holy spirit and the holy spirit dwells in you he has made his home in you he resides in you abides in you so the fellowship of the spirit binds us all together We are baptized by the Holy Spirit even into the body of Christ, it says in in, uh, Corinthians. So we have to understand that that the Holy Spirit binds our hearts together. And how does that work in the matter of loneliness? If he is in me and I'm experiencing the fellowship that God wants me to have with the Holy Spirit, who will in turn have me exalt Christ so that I live for the glory of the Father, the Holy Spirit in me will put me into fellowship directly with you. If you know Christ and the fellowship of the spirit means that if the spirit is ruling in my heart and he's ruling in your heart, we're going to be together. He's not going to war with himself. So if there's something amiss, that means that one of us is not walking by the spirit. We need to have the fellowship of the Spirit binding our hearts together. So he says, we've got to have that fellowship of the Spirit, the consolation of love. We've got to make sure that there's this encouragement in Christ. And lastly, he says, if there's any affection, if there's any compassion, well, is there? You better believe there is. This, this great sense of God is the compassionate God who's not looking to condemn us, but to save us and to restore us and to walk us through life victoriously for his glory i was just reading in in uh, my quiet time this morning about this compassion of christ and this mercy that christ has for me because sometimes in my uh, less spiritual moments i begin to have pity on myself you ever had a pity party yeah just like oh woe is me you know I think I'm just going to eat dirt and worms. I mean, just terrible life. And we're thinking, why? Because I just keep failing God. I just keep messing up and I keep, you know. Well, you should be sensitive to that. But instead of thinking that God is finding a way to be able to catch us and then smack us down. No. He says, I've got compassion for you. Christ came and became one with you so that he could understand the temptations that you're dealing with. He became flesh and dwelt among you so that he would understand what that's like. So therefore, he has firsthand experience of what you're going through, except he never sinned. So Christ is interceding for us, but he also is the the Lord of compassion and the Lord who has this kind of love for us with this deep affection. He is merciful to us and is our greatest cheerleader. Can you picture the Lord God Almighty cheering for you? There's a passage, I think it's Zephaniah. He will exalt exalt over you with singing, with shouts of joy. You get it right. Can you imagine the Lord God Almighty who created all things and knows where every atom is and where every galaxy is? When you get something right, he rejoices with singing. That's not a normal thought that we have. We have to, we have to absorb that. And so, so Paul saying, look, if you are going to have a foundation for being able to do what I'm going to tell you that you need to do. The starting point is to recognize if there is indeed this encouragement, if there is indeed this consolation of love, the fellowship of the spirit, and if there's any of this affection and compassion that Christ has for you, yea and amen to all of those things. He said, you have a sure foundation for being able to do what I'm calling you to do, because what I'm calling you to do is contrary to what your natural instincts are. And then verses 3 and 4, he begins to explain to us, here are some of the things that are going to challenge you and make you think this is not possible. He says, these are the challenges to the joyful fellowship that I'm encouraging you to pursue. Even though those other things are true, verse 1, here's what challenges you and here's what's going to get in the way. He says, you have some issues that you're going to have to resolve. And if you expend all of your energy challenging the premises and living out a different way he says you're never going to experience what it's like to have your joy made full you're never going to find that out and so one of the problems in the body of christ that we struggle with is that there are divisions in the house can i get an amen somewhere Uh, there are divisions in the house and i'm i'm not talking about just in this place the intramural ones inside these walls we're not so sure about the church down the street. We're not so sure about that bunch over there. And we're pretty clear that those folks ain't got a clue. And it's right now just us. And we're not sure about some of you, <laughs> you know. And we're going to get to heaven and he's going like, how in the world did they get here, you know. And, and the Lord's going like, listen, you got to understand something. There is a party spirit that emerges in, in this whole process. He says, do nothing, first in verse three, from selfishness. <clears throat> we know what selfishness is. <clears throat> we, get, we get that one, we understand it, but that's really not the best translation of this word. The best translation of the word is factiousness, party spirit, cliquishness, my posse. <laughs> this is my bunch. And this is who I identify with. And if you step across the line with your big toe, you're going to be out of my party too. <clears throat> so let's all agree to watchdog each other and keep our party spirit intact. Do you think this happens in the body of Christ? Well, it was happening enough in Philippi that later on in chapter 4 when he says, look, you got a problem with these, uh, these two ladies named Iodia and Syntyche." Uh, you got to you got to get those girls on the same page. <laughs> you got to urge them to live in harmony with the Lord. Well, why would He say that if they were already in harmony? No, He could look in any congregation and say, you know, why is it these people go in this door and they go out that door because they don't want to have to run into so and so because they don't like them? I love you in the name of Jesus, It in my flesh I can't stand you. <laughs> you know, I love everybody, but I can't stand that person. <clears throat> no. He said, a party spirit is evident in Corinth where he says, look, I've heard from Chloe's people that there are divisions among you. And I believe it. He says, you can't be made complete with the same mind and the same judgment when there are divisions among you. That party spirit, he said, that's not going to work. He says, I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people that, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I, I'm of Cephas. And then the really self-righteousness is, well, I am of Christ, you know. Oh, well, good for y'all. That's not what I'm looking for, he says. You are all one body in Christ. Well, I came to Christ at the Billy Graham crusade. Good for you. Well, I came to Christ at a navigator Bible study when I was in the military. Well, good, good for you. Well, I came to Christ at vacation Bible school when I was seven good for you and all of well my experience was just a little bit better than yours no god used different means of bringing us all together well i studied in this group and i studied in that group well i'm in such and such a sunday school class well i went to this community bible study or bsf or whatever I, you know i did this. and so therefore we just a little bit above everybody else he says stop it do nothing from party spirit don't do that. Stop it. Do nothing from selfishness. Secondly, do nothing from empty conceit. Now that's when he gets down to personal selfishness. That, that word translates best as empty pride. Everybody's got a little pride. He said, but there's an emptiness in this pride. Uh, it's another translation. It's groundless self-esteem. We, all, you know, we want to build the self-esteem into one another, and you've got to you know, build each other up in your self-esteem. Uh, well, actually, the Scripture says you've got to die to that old selfishness that we sometimes call self-esteem. And that groundless self-esteem that says, I am somebody when Christ says you have become nothing and a nobody so that in Christ you can become everything. He says, so, no, we've got to not do anything out of personal selfishness. Now, when we have a desire to defend and exalt self and a desire and a defense of exalting party, so what happens when either of those is challenged is that, well, prideful stubbornness kicks in. We dig in our heels and we don't want to hear the truth. Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up, right? So we don't want to hear anybody that has anything different to say. A couple of summers ago, Kathy and I were were having dinner with some friends, and, and, uh, and, and the wife said, hey, have you heard about what's going on with such and such a ministry? And I said, well, no, I hadn't heard that at all. I mean, I know the people in that ministry, and as a matter of fact, they're doing great. Oh, listen, I've heard they've gone liberal. I'm pretty conservative, and they're to the right of where I am. I don't know what you think about me if you think they're liberal. We said, well, I read this blog post about... I said, okay, you read the blog post. Now, let me ask you about the criteria for that blog post. If it's advocating for biblical principles and violating biblical principles while doing so, you might want to raise a red flag. And if you want to use a football analogy, you want to throw throw the flag on that one. That's just, that's illegal. That's a penalty. You can't say, well, I'm going to... Recognize that the end justifies whatever means I need to get there. No, it does not. And so Paul's saying, you've got to you got to get rid of this stubborn pridefulness that says, I I know what they're saying doesn't seem to line up in terms of the spirit, but what they're saying seems right. Well, they can't line up together, then you got a problem. Don't trust the source of somebody who's speaking in an ungodly manner. Be watchful. Find out the character of the one who's delivering the message as a part of the process of listening to what they're saying. So we did, I did some research and went back to them and said, no, listen, uh, I saw where that came from. And I, I read the post and I went to the blog and, and they referred to some video. I watched the video. I mean, I went kind of into it because I'm thinking, what is she thinking? And, and I came back and said, here's, here's actually where that came from and why. And, and here's some other people that the same blogger is, is attacking, people you know and love. Well, you know, prideful sovereignists, well, I've made up my mind, and they're liberal. And so we're not having anything to do with them anymore. Oh, and Paul says, stop it, stop that. The body of Christ is at stake here. He says, these challenges to the joy of our fellowship together are going to always consistently push back On what the Father is trying to do among you, which is so totally different from these challenges that he talks about in verse 3. He says, You got this party spirit that's trying to divide you. You got your own selfish ambitions and your own personal conceit that are getting in the way of that. And then you're defending them to the hilt with your own stubbornness. And so Paul says, "Um, Don't do that. Do nothing of the sort, he says. Do nothing from these things. So, okay, how, how is this going to work? He said, because if any of these three things are in place, they're not only going to damage the peace of a church and create infighting, not just in a local congregation, between believers across the body of Christ. He says, but they're going to steal your joy. They're going to rob you of the joy of Christ. You're going to be looking for a fight rather than faith that builds joy. It's not what what it's supposed to be. So so Paul's saying, look, in order to do this right, in order to build unity in the body, you've got to make sure that you're following this process. Take the foundation seriously in verse 1. Look at these challenges against you and take note of those and surrender those to Christ so that you're not guilty of those things. Well, now what am I supposed to do? Well, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's the practicality of it. And then he gives us one command But he gives us three different ways of experiencing it. Make my joy complete. Well, how? He says simply, there's three different ways that I'm going to explain to you that you need to make the joy complete. One, be unified or come to oneness. Two, be lowly. That is, take the servant humble place. And three, make sure that you're helpful. Be helpful to one another. Spur one another on, cheer for each other, pray for each other, encourage one another. Stand with each other, help each other up when we fall down. Be helpful in this process. So let's unpack those. First of all, be unified. Make my joy complete by being, this is verse 2, of the same mind, maintaining same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Where there is no unity, there is no joy. It's not going to happen. So he says, I want you to be of the same mind that mean we have to agree about everything no but you've got one mind the mind of christ when you become a follower of christ so you submit all of your thoughts take every one of them captive to obedience to christ and you'll be okay have one maintain that one mind that's what we're, we're called to do secondly we're supposed to maintain the same love selfless, unconditional love that we have seen witnessed in Christ toward us. We've experienced his grace. Therefore, we're grace givers. That's how we live our lives. We, we carry out that grace. Received, grace given. Living in an environment of grace where you're not afraid to step out and do something that might be hard because you're afraid if you fail, somebody's going to chop you off at the knees. Christian being the only army that shoots its wounded when we fail, no, we want to be able to go out and, and know that we're we 're maintaining the same kind of love that grace. He said you thirdly, you need to be united in spirit you 're thinking christianly you 're thinking in a christ like manner you have the mind of Christ, you have the love of Christ controlling you, compelling you to live for him. You're united in the spirit where your hearts are drawn together, where the spirit is not at war with himself as you share life together in the unity of the spirit. And then you're intent on one purpose. You are together not for you, but for the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about the God who has given himself up for me, for the church, for the glory of his name so I want to be intent on that one purpose that draws us together. That's what he's calling us to do. Figure out what that is. There's there's a bunch of other stuff that that are out there. You've got primary issues that are fundamental for what we're supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. Then you've got another level of things that are important issues, but they're not fundamental ones. And so we, we identify what those things are. And then you got another list of things that are the tertiary issues. And on down from there, where you begin to say, we want to have a position on this, but this is not going to cause us to divide in fellowship with each other. And so these, yeah, w- these are fundamental. We, gotta, we own these together. These, we prefer this, but we're not going to go to war about it. These down here, you know what? It's, it's, it's important enough to come to a conclusion about it, but not enough to break fellowship with him. So we, we figure out what is our purpose? What is it that God's called us to do? So he says, be united. Join your hearts together on what Christ loves most. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then what? All these other things will be added to you. You'll have a perspective on how to deal with all that. Now, here, here's the thing. Um, we get confused about these priorities. Some people put the emphasis on that syllable and some put the emphasis on the other syllable. And, and so we get a little confused about that. And so we begin to realize that, that there are members of the body of Christ who have different ideas about how different pieces of this thing work together. And you just want to pick one. You, you got a, a bathtub over there. Why? Why, why, is that, why is that big tank in this room? Because we baptize folks after they've trusted Christ as Savior. Now, why do we do that when we could just get a Dixie cup and sprinkle them? Or we could go through a ceremony where we do something more formal than that, but we, we you know, christen them, baptize them, whatever that. Why, why do we do that and somebody else does that? Is that worth divine fellowship over? Well, we, we don't, they can't possibly love Jesus as much as we do. Be careful. How, how about those who like to sing songs with those drums and others who like to sing it with that organ? Which is going to be in heaven? I, said, <laughs> I tell you what, it's going to be a sweet concert of praise in heaven. I think it's going to have a whole lot of stuff you hadn't even heard of. I want to be a, a roadie on the, on the tour of heaven. I mean, I just, I just, Lord, just let me carry the amps. I don't care. I just want to be there for it. Whatever it's going to look like, you know, I'll, I'll tune in. Whatever, Lord, just let me be a part. Of it. And so people get divided over that kind of stuff, or they get divided over all kinds of little things. We, we get all upset. Well, we won't go into them because some of you get upset about some of the things I picked. So, but intent on one purpose united in spirit maintaining the same love being of the same mind be unified make my joy complete how? be unified come together this is important this is life changing this is critical this is urgent for the glory of Christ in all of creation do what I've said in the way that I've said and I will be exalted among the nations not just in your midst Be unified there. Second thing he tells us is be lowly, humble. Right now I'm so proud of my humility, I just can't hardly stand it. (laughs) I'm about the most humble man I know, you know. No, no. No. Here's the thing. We we need to, first of all, understand, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. What in the world is that about? Well, you've got to have the proper regard for yourself. You need to put the standard where Christ puts it. You don't put it above that and have lofty ideas about yourself, but you don't have this inferiority complex that puts it lower than that either. Put it where he puts it. We, we sing that song, I, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am not what the pundits on the programs tell me I am. You can do anything you set your mind to. No, I can't. I've been trying to dunk since I was 16 years old. I can't do it. I can I can, I can touch the rim, used to, you know. And I, I used to, you know, I, I can't sing soprano. I'm grateful for that, but I can't. You know, I, I used to be able to do a falsetto. I can't even do a falsetto anymore. I've done. Vocal chords went... That ain't, your, that ain't your thing. I, I, there are a lot of things I can't so People say, well, you can do anything. You can, you know. No, that's not true. Well, you are, you are the, the core. You need to find out what you think matters in life and go after that and don't let anybody tell you anything different. Well, Jesus tells me everything different from that. So I've got to go after what he says, not what I think I want. Why do people go after idols? You can control your idols. You can't control Jesus. <laughs> you can kind of determine. Well, I don't. I don't like that little idol. He he had you know my superstition. Not letting. I, I don't follow him anymore. I'm gonna pick up another one that'll let me do what I want to do. And Jesus is above all that. He says, "No. You need to have a proper regard for yourself as you are related to who I am and who I say you are." I was talking to a friend this week, and he said, you know, I was just thinking, I've heard it said, and I thought, let me write that down, because I'm going to say it Sunday morning. He said, this basic humility, he said, it is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Let me to say that again, because some of you want to say, what? What did he say? I thought he said it, and then he said it different, and I didn't understand that. It's not thinking less of yourself. That's choosing to think something different than what God has said about you. Don't think less of yourself. Just think of yourself less. It's not about you. A couple of years ago, we were uh, visiting a church and I was preaching and, and I'd heard they were having some difficulties and there was some internal fighting and all kinds of mess going on. And a lot of it was stemming from this selfish stuff where they were not united because the party spirit and the, the selfish conceit and all that stuff had gotten in. And you hear about that kind of stuff, but you seldom actually hear it articulated Directly, and so we were we were heading into the worship center. And I was with one of the other pastors, and uh, and this guy comes up, and I find out that he's actually one of the deacons in this church. <clears throat> and he comes up to me and the pastor, and he doesn't know me from anybody. He doesn't know I'm getting ready to preach, and could have used him as an illustration. But he came up. I didn't, by the way, but he came up and says, "Hey, pastor, what have you pastors been doing for me this week?" I'm a guest here. I'm going to slap you in the name of Jesus. (laughs) No, that was not what Jesus wanted me to do. But I mean, my flesh went, what in the, are you kidding me? What have they done for you? What? I I mean, I, I didn't know what to say. I knew what I wanted to say, but I didn't know what I could say in grace. It's not about you, Jack. And if they never did anything for you, but did everything for Jesus, it would be good for you. You is at the wrong target. And churches that try to meet the needs of their people and forget about being true to the calling in Christ are doomed to failure. We just want to meet the needs of our people. You call Christ Lord and do what he said, you'll meet the needs of the people. You aim at him, you'll hit everybody. You aim at them, you won't hit them or Jesus. So be lowly. Take the spot of humility yourself now second and the implication of that he says you are to therefore regard one another as more important than yourself that doesn't seem right (laughs) let me read that again you are to regard one another as more important than yourself that can't be what he means okay let me read on to verse four do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, I guess he does mean it. What does that mean? That means that I am not in this for what I can get out of it. It's not about me. It's about how God can use me for the sake of others. Remember that joy, Jesus and others and you, or one way to spell joy. That's, that's the how do I take care of the others part there. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book years ago called Improving Your Serve. And he had a story in there about a little guy named Chad. Any of you read Improving Your Serve by Swindoll? It's a great book. Well, let me just describe Chad for you in a different way. There's another guy, songwriter named Michael Kelly Blanchard. We got to know several years ago and had him in concert a few times. And he wrote a song called The Cootie Girl. And some of you younger folks have no idea what The Cootie Girl is. <clears throat> good one of our sons actually got in a fight at school because he had heard the song cootie girl and heard us talk about you never treat anybody like that and in line in the lunchroom he some guy was you know Ooh, she's got cooties she's got cooties getting away and he said we don't we don't do that and he's going oh yeah, we're gonna do that and he starts shoving my son he said i'll do what i want to well, she's the cootie girl stay away with me, the cootie girl next thing you know they're they're in it. And they both were at the principal's office. What'd you do? He was calling her Cootie Girl. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with it at home. You don't get in a fight, but it's a way to stand up for. Her. Cootie Girl was the girl who got <coughs> marked, labeled for nothing she ever did, nothing she ever said, nothing she ever was. She was just treated as a leper by the other students. You, I mean, you may in your generation called her something else, but she was the cootie girl, and Michael Kelly Blanchard wrote a whole song about that. The night he sang it in concert at our church, there was a group of about four women sitting in front of us, weeping like babies, because either they had been the cootie girl or they had treated someone like the cootie girl. Anyway, back to Chad, little kid. He was the cootie boy in his school. And the other kids ignored him, mocked him, bullied him, all the other stuff that kids do to each other. So his mom was really, she didn't know what to do. But a few weeks before Valentine's Day, little Chad said, Mom, for Valentine's Day, I want to make a valentine for every one of the the others in my class. All my classmates, I want to make a valentine for each one of them. She's going, oh, son. She didn't let him know She's going to, you're going to just be absolutely ripped to shreds when you do that. They're going to break your heart. She didn't say it, but she. she for three weeks on, in the evenings, they made individual valentines for every kid in his class. Valentine's Day comes, he puts his package together, and he is so excited. He's going to school to give everybody their valentine. And so you remember those days you know where everybody had their little thing and you put your valentines in all that uh i'm not sure how much of that they do anymore but you know so little chad goes through and uh and so mom's thinking how am i going to manage all of this so she has cookies and milk waiting for him when he gets home she's going to kind of be there to to help soothe his nerves and calm his broken heart and all this stuff and, and sure enough, she sees him coming from the bus, heading toward the house. All the other kids are in the little groups playing and ignoring him. And he's coming back empty handed. He's already given out his Valentine's, so he's not carrying anything, but he has not anything else in his hands. And she's going, just as I feared. He comes in the door, and she's saying, Hey, buddy, I've got, I've got these milk and cookies there. And he's, he hadn't said anything about the milk and cookies. He just kind of walks by her, and he says, Not a one. Not a one. And she's going, oh, not even one kid? Not even one kid gave him a Valentine. Somebody, maybe the teacher should have done Somebody should have taken care of my boy. And she said, what what'd you say, honey? He said, not a single one. I didn't forget anybody. I had a Valentine for every single one. <sighs> Mama's ready to eat crow. Because all she was concerned about was what it was going to mean to him. All he was concerned about is what it was going to mean to the others when they got a special, homemade, lovingly crafted valentine from him. Folks, in the body of Christ, we have to think more highly of others than ourselves so that we're not thinking less of ourselves. We're just thinking of ourselves less. And then that translates into how we treat others. What do you need? How can I serve you? What will help you most in worshiping Christ? What will help you most in exalting the Lord? What will help you most in going through this trial? What will help you the most becomes it rather than, ah, it's going to be really hard, inconvenient, and difficult for me. It's like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. So then that moves from there into verse 5. And that's how we have a proper regard for Christ. Because if we get the proper regard for Christ, our perspective on others and our perspective on ourselves will be radically changed. So what happens? He says you are to have this attitude, have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Okay, okay, okay. We understand that's important. He says, "Now let me explain to you what was in the mind of Christ. Who, although he existed... In the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, of a slave, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. He took the lowest place who deserved the most exalted throne. And he took that and he says, now, I want you to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ. I want you to have that attitude in you, which was also in Christ. Why? Because he says, this is the way this is supposed to work. In order to have the exacting humility in you, which comes with becoming one with Christ, you've got to actually start with having the mind of Christ, verse 5. And then... Go back, if there's any consolation of love, if there's, and you go through verses two to four, I mean, one to four again, and you begin to think, oh, I can do that. Now, what does this have to do with the next two sections of verses? Because if you have not learned the verses of one and following down to verse eight, you cannot possibly understand how verses nine, 10, and 11 are going to work. He says, why? Because Christ humbled himself that way. Therefore, God the Father, God highly exalted him. He took the low place. God exalted him. He bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those who are on earth on heaven and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you have understood what it is to have the mind of Christ and have taken the low place, and if you have humbled yourself, then all of your thoughts are going to be, how can I join my voice in confessing with this joyous privilege that Jesus is glorious and he deserves all praise. And every knee will bow. Those who are now shaking their fists, defying him, will bow the knee and say under compulsion, Jesus is Lord. I hate that he is. I live like he wasn't, but he is Lord. And you get the joyous privilege of being able to say, I have taken the low place so that I can see the highest position of the king of glory. He is Lord. And you worship him. For all eternity in that way and then you get to verses 12 to 13 and paul just in his own way says now work it out you're gonna have to work that out in your life i've told you what you're supposed to do but by the power of the spirit here's what has to happen my beloved just as you have always obeyed not just as in my presence only but when i'm absent i want you to work out your salvation Work out this idea that you're not yourself and you have been created for the glory of God and that you were to live for his praise. Humble yourself, exalt him with your lips, confessing that he is Lord over all things and then live that way and now figure it out with fear and trembling how you're going to practically work it out in the daily affairs of your life. And you begin to think, well, I'm not capable of doing that. He said, no, because it is God." who is at work in you to both will and work it out for you so that your salvation impacts everything to the glory of the Father. Well, there's a whole lot more in chapter 2, but I think that's enough, don't you? We have hit the high marks. Lord, take us to our knees so that we can reach to the highest places. Take us to the lowliest spot so that we can see unhindered the highest exalted king of glory and then may we worship him with our whole hearts united with the integrity of Christ being together in him united lowly and with a heart that is ready to be helpful to one another we've got to really figure out how we're going to walk through this with each other and be little chads on the way figuring out how we can do what needs to be done to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to bow before him as a privilege, not as a mandated compulsion. May Jesus be Lord in this place. Let's pray. Father, do with us what must be done to create in us this kind of heart that we will be committed to you to work it all out with fear and trembling recognizing how seriously you take these things not treating it as an afterthought not having it as just sort of a sidebar not seeing it as the uh, upper level versions of christianity but father seeing it as the basics of the faith that we're to work it out with fear and trembling paying careful attention to this exacting humility that belongs to those who know and love jesus we thank you for the privilege of being able to do that because you are the one willing and working it out in us through Christ and the power that He has to make us alive together with Him. We thank You for this in His name. Amen. Would you stand together with Him please?